Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. This season, I'm gathering some of the very best blue teamers across the field to form my all-star team of defenders who will use their talents against some of the biggest cyber threats that we face today. Join me as I meet with my team, learn about their origins, what drives them, and the pivotal role they play in the world of cyber defense. So without further ado, let's get to it. When it comes to IT and security, we can agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and manual asset inventory approaches no longer cut it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate action, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com slash get a tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody watching, this is another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I am your host, Davin Jackson, with my blue team shirt on today. Uh, <laughs> and I am super excited to have my guest on. So by now, you know that uh, my theme for the season of Hacker Valley Blue is the Defenders. And I'm bringing up a whole team. I have different people from all different walks of life but they have one thing in common that they have a love and a passion for the blue team side of things and playing defense and, you know, defending against threats. So I've had several different people on so far, but to fill out my team, I have to have a strategist. When you have a team, there's gotta be someone there, guy or girl who can look at the battlefield or, or look at the, look at the field of play and almost like chess think moves ahead and when I was forming my team and came coming up with that strategist person, um, I was lucky enough to find someone who I've known uh, from 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 previous interactions. But this dude is really smart. Uh, he he's he's a mental chess player, super intelligent, and I had to have him on my team. So without further ado, let me welcome my guest, Marcus Bowie. Marcus, thank you for joining. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me. And again, this is another organic opportunity. So I'm I'm excited for you for that. And I'm also excited to be on this show. So thanks for having me. It's a big this is a big pleasure, man. So thank you, man. Oh, man. No, the pleasure is all mine. And like I said, to, to form this team, you know, I'm from the red team side of things. So to have me with my from my perspective, I have to have people around who who, who know what they're doing. And like oh. I said, when when you have when you have to have a strategist, I I, I thought of you immediately. Oh, so um, I know how you get down, but for those who don't know, please introduce yourself and and let them know who you are. Well, to to those watching out there, my name is Marcus Bowie on on Twitter. I go by the Cyber Reverend, and I am the COO and founder of MaxProd Technologies. This is a cybersecurity company in the DMV area. We specialize in security operations, digital forensics threat detection and workforce development. And so been in the field for in the IT field for for 12 plus years and I'm just getting my feet wet, you know. Um I'm excited with the journey and we got some big things coming down the pipe. So so you you know you said you've been in the field for a little bit of time now uh and you're just getting your feet wet, but how did you get your start? 
Um, somebody took a chance and, and, and I used my customer service. I started off at the help desk to get my foot in the door and somebody came in, in my skiff with a suit on and he had a Blackberry in his hand. And we know this, you can't walk in the skiff with electronics or phones. And this dude did it. And, uh, that tells me that, uh, you know, he's some type of big wig to, to, to be that bold, to walk in with that. <laughs> so he needed help with his BlackBerry. I was off my shift. I worked overnight and uh, I stayed late to put chairs together. And um, another big wig was like, can you help him? And, you know, just being the guy that I am, I helped him out. I used my customer service. I kicked somebody off their machine, wrote a ticket up, called over to the team, put it in high priority and gave the gentleman the phone. And for after I gave him the phone, I forgot about the conversation. That conversation took about five minutes. Uh, he came to me and thanked me for it. And just like before, I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I'm trying to brush him off. You know, hey, man, no sweat. But he insisted to to ask me uh, if I need anything from diplomat security, let him know. And the first thing I thought was diplomat security, that's the cyber team. And when he said that, uh, after that, he said, Oh, by the way, I'm the division branch chief. So I said, yeah, let's go talk about something. Let's go outside and have a conversation. And when we went outside, I began to tell him, yeah, I'm hearing about cybersecurity and I feel like I'll be a good fit for the gig. This was a Friday morning. He asked me for my resume. And three weeks later, I was sitting in that seat. No degree, no certs, no experience. I'm sitting in a sock analyst seat doing sock analyst work. And uh, that's how I got my first foot in. But learning you know, the, the, the next two months learning how to do that job, uh, was, was work. And that's what catapulted me into other areas of cyber. Nice. Uh, first kudos to you, uh, for, for, you know, having the presence of mind to, to see that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, that's, that, that's the, that's that strategist yes. point of view that I'm talking about. You know, you see someone walk in with a, in, in a skiff, which traditionally everyone knows a skiff is a place that, you know, you have no technology, no, nothing comes in, nothing comes out. You need to go in, probably see what's in that room, yeah. read it, digest it, understand it and walk out. But you can't walk in with anything um, tech related. So for him to walk around in a suit in a Blackberry that had to tell you like, OK, clearly there's a reason why they're breaking the rules. And you could have went right. one or two ways. You could have challenged them yeah. or uh, in your case, he, he, he needed help. And and you were the one who answered the call, uh, and then you talked about, and you talked about three, you know, and, and in three weeks you're, you're sitting in in the sock. Did you know you wanted to end up in a sock? Because you know it sounds like you could have went in any direction. So what what drew you to the the sock side of things as opposed to you know joining a red team or or being a pen tester? So I never told this story before. I'm going to tell it on this one. Since it's Hacker Valley Studios, my MySpace got hacked one time. And <laughs> I had, th there's a particular attack out there that is common as, and it's probably the second highest next to phishing. It's called credential reuse. Mm -hmm. I had the same password that was for my MySpace. That same password was for my Sprint account. And so when Sprint got hacked or MySpace got hacked, they had the creds to everything else that was related to that username and everybody knows the username is the email address, whatever, however they look it up, 
whatever they do to do their OSINT or whatever recon on the email, it will pull up what else is tied to. And so when my MySpace got hacked a few months later, my Sprint got hacked. And what happened was they ordered four iPhone 7s at that particular time and had it shipped to a different address that I've never been. When that happened, I wasn't in cyber. I was still doing help desk. But that made me think, how could I have, what could I have done better to stop myself from being in this position? And so when he mentioned that he was the branch chief of diplomat security, I already knew that there was a cybersecurity team down there because I used to interact with those people playing ping pong in that area. So I already knew what they did. And I was like, man, I, I would like to, to come down and, 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 and pr- maybe work here, but there was never an opportunity. That was my way in once I knew that that was the branch chief. So in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to do this, the defensive side, the protecting side, because you never want to be the guy that gets your stuff hacked, taken. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a hassle, it's a pain. And so I always wanted to be that person to be in the defensive mode. And so when that opportunity came, yeah, I had my mind on it. And, and just like a chess move, I'm, I made the right move. And that's how I got my foot in. Yeah, you, you turn tragedy into triumph. Yes, <laughs> yes. But, um, but but that, like I said, that that that's awesome. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sorry that you know MySpace and Sprint got hacked. Two things that aren't really around anymore. So I think right. we're showing our ages by having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, but yeah, uh, credential reuse is is a major thing, and yeah. and you know, a lot of times you hear things about oh, it was a sophisticated attack, and no, it wasn't. You either yeah. click the link or your password is was showed up in a breach and yeah yeah and and they used they they did a password spraying or brute force attack right uh, those those are the two go tos before things get sophisticated so yeah 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 uh, totally right <laughs> so okay so you're you're in a help desk you see somebody who's a somebody he puts you on three weeks later you're in a sock. What is going through your mind uh, as you walk into the sock? And I'm pretty sure you see the thing that's going on. You hear people responding to calls or incidents. You know, people probably are using tools that as a help desk person you've never seen before. What's going through your mind, you know, the first probably few days or even weeks uh, in, in that sock? The first thing that shook me up was the pass down. So... In some environments, in this particular environment, you had to be on site 10 minutes before to receive the pass down. And it was not only the pass down situation, it was who was at the pass down. So all these people in suits and they're serious. And, you know, the snickers of if you if you're late at the pass down, we will reprimand you. Mm-hmm. That shook me up first. Like, this is, this is a little bit more serious than help desk. But then getting into doing the actual work, looking at these tools I've never seen before, looking at the different processes and how um, very meticulous they are when they send out communication, how how critiquing they are when you write a ticket and you put the wrong info in or you don't put the right info in. And and they kick it back to you. And now you're looking at a ticket queue because that's the only thing I knew was how to write tickets. You're looking at a ticket queue full of kickback tickets. 
what is this about? And then you have to, then you deal with the idea of you don't really know what you're really doing yet because you're new and there's no really, there's no training. There's no on a job training. Nobody is showing you, oh, you got to do this, 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 and this, or we're looking for this. You're just in the seat. And so navigating those waters was tough at first because I had to learn. I had to learn real fast. You know, I had to go home and study and come back and see if whatever I study was actually worth it. You know, I had to go through old tickets and look up emails that was already sent in the inbox to see if I can understand what's going on here or how to process how they're doing things. So it, the first two weeks, the first two months was tough trying to weather the storm and stay in there without having the feeling of, I'm going to get fired tomorrow because I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Now, in that, even in that case, I've never felt like I didn't belong there. I never felt like the term they use now or they use imposter syndrome. I just always knew that I had to work hard to understand this information. I've always felt that. I've never felt like I didn't belong because I got that job for a reason. You know what right. I'm saying? Not 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 only just because of networking, you know, I knew that they needed some help down there with the tickets and knowing who's who and stuff like that. So that may have played a part, you know, as a selling point to get me there. Um, but again, I got in. But I never felt like, even though it was overwhelming, I never felt like I didn't belong. And so that that was the that was the piece, the weathering the storm. The going in and and doing the hard work of studying and working the extra hours at home to make sure I understood the content and understand the language that was used. It was a total different language. It was a lot of things that was different from help desk. But doing that in the first two months got me to where I needed to get to um, when I pivoted from there. Right. Um, And I mean, and let's be honest, you know, that that person that you helped clearly saw something in you, right? Right. Because because they could have easily just said, "Thank thanks. you, <laughs> yeah, and, thank you," and, and kept it moving. It kept it moving. So so they saw they saw something in you. Um, right. and I like the I like that you said you know you didn't feel like you didn't belong and you knew you had to 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 do the work. Right. Um, I remember my first pen testing job, and I did. You know, I did have some training in it, but this was like my first real on the on the job, like real hand, real world situation. And I was in a similar situation. Right. I had I'd gotten my CEH. I had done all the things that they told me to do. I read the books. I did the labs. And um, now I'm put on a team. And that that first month it was rough. And then and then I got put on my first assessment by myself. Wow. And I freaked out because <laughs> everything went wrong. Dang. So, you know, the VPN wasn't working properly or I wasn't connected to the right network. And I'm trying to troubleshoot with the with the client's network team and they're not really forthcoming with information or with help. Right. So now I'm freaking out and, and wondering to myself that that I bite off more than I can chew. Mm. You know, and, and it's easy in that situation to say, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe this right. may, maybe maybe I did bite off more than I could chew. Maybe I need to go back to the drawing board. But it it's those challenges that build that resilience. 
that you're going to need in your career on on either side uh, <laughs> of the yeah. cybersecurity team you're on. Yeah. Now you you talked about you know you didn't see a lot of tools before, and that you know you're coming from the help desk. But do you think your experience in the help desk helped you understand and and get through that tough time in the SOC? Yes. Knowing who's who. So when you're in the when you're in the SOC or when you're in the help desk, you're creating tickets to different groups. Now, let's say there's a phishing email that needs to be purged. If I didn't never worked at the help desk, I wouldn't know who to talk to. Mm. I was able to create tickets to go to where? The exchange team. So I knew who was on the exchange team. I could just pick the phone up and call. So having that, that's one skill of knowing who's who by looking at tickets that you've already sent to these different people. The second thing is on the help desk, you have active directory. So let's say if you needed to lock down an account or somebody's a part of a certain domain, I already knew how to use active directory. So coming down there and I see active directory, that was cake for me. Oh, let's go look it up. Let's go. Let's see if they're part of this domain that they've never seen before that you can change actual, you could change the domain on, or look at certain domains on um, domain controllers on Active Directory to see if a user is part of that domain, looking at their object, looking at where they're located. That was already taught when I was at Help Desk. So I brought that down there too, knowing how to use Active Directory, knowing how to look at the account objects and see if the account is locked or see if, uh, if there was a new account created looking at the creation dates. So I already had that coming down there. So bringing that with me from help desk helped me a lot. It helped me to, I'm going to say, compensate for what I didn't know on the cyber side. Like it, it, it helped me to hold a little bit of weight, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I was able to pull my weight a little bit knowing that stuff outside mm-hmm. of knowing how to use the cyber tools and do right. instant response. And that that's major because one of the things that people think about when they're trying to get into cybersecurity is, oh, I, I don't have the skills and I don't have the knowledge. But, um, you know, there are a lot of transferable skills. Uh, I, I, I also came from a help desk. I, well, I started from PC workbench at Circuit City. There we go showing our age again. But, um, <laughs> but I started at, you know, PC workbench and, you know, fire, fire dog tech at Circuit City to, to a, a call center uh, for a cable service provider to, uh, you know, an intern, basically a part-time intern. And then mm-hmm. I was like, the, then I worked for a small business and kind of worked my way up. Then I got to help desk and desktop support and eventually sysadmin. But mm-hmm. I took something with me from each of those mm. that that helped but when that time came to transition over to cybersecurity, um i was also able to use some of those skills that i learned yeah. uh from being a desktop support so you know troubleshooting on the fly mm-hmm. uh one thing that they don't talk about a lot are the the soft skills or your communication skills <sighs> your doc- documentation skills yeah. uh you talked about working with tickets, you know, now you know how to write tickets or how, yeah. how ticketing systems work, right. uh, navigating through Active Directory. That helped me shine in the places where I was strong. And then yeah. in the meantime, having that 
presence of mind to say, okay, I'm not that great here. So let me build this up. But while I'm doing that, let me make sure I try to expose my, my, my strengths. So it's not a complete bust, uh, right, you know, right. for the employer. So now you've been doing this for a while. You talked about you making the pivot into the SOC and then you made another pivot. And now your official title is uh, cybersecurity engineer. So, so what does that job entail? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> the primary job duty is malware analysis as an engineer. Um, that's my primary job, but I still do engineering tasks. So configuring firewalls, I may be even tasked to code. That was my first task. My first task starting that job, I had to code something, fix, fix a bug, a few bugs in some open source code. Um, and doing other things, um, you know, working with other stakeholders, you know, uh, trying to get some tools deployed and testing different tools and stuff like that. Um, those are the, that's, that's my, you know, the other job duties, the other duties as, as prescribed. Um, but malware analysis is our first, you know, that's our first task, um, doing this type of job. But, and that's my, that's my nine to five. So I have other gigs too. So that's my nine to five. <laughs> I am a forensic SME part-time for another organization where I just do, uh, you know, forensics for different cases and stuff like that as needed. I'm also working with my company, Maxwell Technologies, um, doing SOC work. So I do security operations, um, doing SOC tier one, tier two, part-time as well uh, for another organization. And then for several organizations under one company, under MaxProd, I'm a security engineer and I do different tasks as far as installing tools uh, backup tools for different organizations. So I got my hand in the pot at different places. It's just, uh, you know, knowing how to juggle and move around. That's pretty much it. And find time to sleep, I guess. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, definitely. <clears throat> but uh, so, so my next question will be to, to piggyback off of that is, is a two part question. What excites you about the job? And then the flip side to it is what is one of the most challenging things you have to face in each of those roles? Okay. For every last one, the common denominator for what excites me about, about it is finding the answer, finding the accurate answer. There's two points, two objectives for either malware analysis, forensics, or just doing SOC work. You're either trying to prove a case or disapprove it. And so when you accurately find the answer to what you're looking for, that's rewarding to me. That's that's the rewarding part is that I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to be a Lieutenant Columbo, and I'm going to go outside the box, and I'm going to find the answer to whatever challenge is put in front of me. The challenging part is for each one are different. So for malware analysis, what is the number one objective for malware is to slow you down. So that that malware is coming in, it's packed, it's encrypted with different types of algorithms, and you have to try to decrypt it, unpack it, um, reassemble it to a way to see what the malware is trying to do. That can take hours. Meanwhile, if it executed in your environment, the attacker's doing this thing. You know what I'm saying? 
they know what is encrypted and packed with. You are slowed down in that analysis steps to try to figure out what is going on. And because it's not my primary, like my only job, you know, I'm doing other things that requires practice outside of the, you know, outside of work to try to figure out, all right, now I got to learn assembly. Now I got to learn uh, different binary, um, binary types and different file types and, and, and looking at the payloads, different types of payloads to try to figure out how does this, how do I break this thing down to figure out what this malware is doing? What is the objective of the malware? Did it drop other malware? You know what I'm saying? You know, that looks like it, you know? So that's my challenge of trying to figure that out. On the forensic side, it's looking at the different file systems. That That's one of the way. that's one of the issues, but also is it's per case. It's by case, case, or case by case um, for each situation. So, you know, did a user do a misuse? Did a user, is a user inside a threat? Uh, did the user uh, do something where they took their device outside the country and now you got foreign access on it? So you got to figure out case by case, what are you investigating? But also what artifacts is going to pull that information? Sometimes the artifacts may be in front of you and you not really knowing that that's what it is or finding what's normal. So like if that environment is spinning up a whole bunch of scripts, you not knowing that environment may think, oh, this is not normal, but there may be normal traffic. So sifting through the normalness of what's normal here so I can so I can find what's abnormal about each case, that's a challenge. And then for the sock thing is there's other things. There's several things with the SOC. You got logging. Not all the logs may be turned on in the SOC. You got telemetry or visibility. You may not be seeing everything in the SOC. You may only see one part. And then you have to look for other other avenues. And we talk about tools. Not necessarily the tools may not show you everything. So that's, that's where you got to not be one-dimensional and find out on that box, on that host, can I find the answer without the tool? Which is what I teach my students. Don't be one dimensional and just be tool dependent. How can you find the answer without that? But that may not be available to you. Permission levels. You know, you only may have certain permissions to see certain things. And so that requires, you know, instead of you taking the ticket from cradle to grave, you may have to pass it to another team. That that may be a challenge to you if the ticket's in your name. So you right. got a tickets open and you can't miss SLA or you're going to get dinged for that. And so those are the three challenges in those three different areas that I face or I have faced. So we're going to get back to that. I think now would be a good time to bring up our sponsor for this season, Uptix. Uptix provides the first unified cloud native security analytics platform that enables both endpoint and cloud security from a common solution to enable security professional professionals like yourself uh, to prioritize, investigate, and respond to potential threats across a company's entire attack surface. By unifying a visibility in a single tool, security operations analysts can focus on one tool set and interface to improve productivity and efficiency. So Marcus, you talked about different tools and, and using different tools and, and having to know where to go for them. Uh, would that be helpful in your investigation to kind of have one common tool that has all of that in one place? Uh, yes especially telemetry. So if you got visibility of the network, devices that are managed and unmanaged, um, and then it, you have to go by also how deep in depth are they going into pulling the, the artifacts? 
what log level are they pulling it? If it's pulling certain log levels like host based, network based, like to a deeper, uh, you know, you know, in depth, and you can see a lot of things. Yeah, that'll be that. Yeah, that's definitely helpful, and especially in the SOC environment uh, to see certain things, and you won't have to pivot to different tools to try to find the answer, especially if they can do it in a single pane of glass. Yes. Absolutely. And again, thank you to Uptix. Uh, for more information, you can go to uptix.com. That is U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. All right. So back to what you were saying about, you know, chasing down malware and, and analyzing it and trying to figure out if you're looking in the right space. Um, the reason why I chuckled when you said that is because that sounds a lot like uh, what we do sometimes when we're looking at a vulnerability or trying to flesh out a vulnerability and we fall into uh, what are known as like rabbit holes. Yeah. So, you know, you spend hours looking at a vulnerability and you, you think something is there and uh, it it's not. <laughs> it right. turns out right. that you're you're looking in the wrong place. Right. When when we're on a pen test and we do flesh out the right vulnerability and we do get the exploit to work, and we get that that command prompt, that terminal prompt, uh, when we pop that shell, it's like a feeling of like excitement. Um, I, I, every time I do it in my head, I think of uh, the Final Fantasy Victory song. What is that like on on the blue team? Is, is there a moment like that that just kind of just has you feeling like you know success when you pull indicators from a malware that's been obfuscated? And you, you know, you just so happen to properly decode whatever the code is and you pull like a C2 or maybe, uh, you know, some URLs from it and you find out that that URL is an open share that has a bunch of tools. Now I got all your tradecraft. I download them. <laughs> we download it and you can, you know, and, and, and investigate those as well. And so that that's one of the ways, but also like, especially on the forensic side or, or the SOC side, when all of the logs are there to prove the case or disapprove the case, um, when you, when you're seeing all the logs line up, absolutely put the, put the slap on the wrist. That <laughs> right there for me is to say that the ticket is, is an actual incident. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the, those are the, the, that's what that's what makes makes it fun, and that's what we live for, right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in my brief stint doing forensics, um, that that to me was something that was exciting as well. P putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, right? Yeah. Um, I always look at forensics like when you walk in, it's like shattered glass or like a, a, a ten thousand piece puzzle, right? And you're tasked with finding the corners. Mm -hmm. building building out the corners framing it out yeah. and then putting all the pieces together and then finally you can take a step back and go i have the entire picture and i can explain to you what's going yeah. on yes if you can share a time of when you put all those pieces together and what that felt like for you especially like around the first or second time you did it we had a we had a case where the user we we can we can tie it to inside a threat I'm going to say we could tie it to that. But I think the user, it had, may have been a data spill. But we didn't know if that data was taken from whatever that spillage was and used or sent somewhere else. 
there's a file location that was on that on that host called unsaved. There's a file location on that user's profile called unsaved documents. If you go there, there's different tags or GUIs that will show you what type of document it was. Was it a Word file, Excel, PowerPoint? We were able to locate that that particular file and see data. So that right there showed me that, okay, it's not so much as to see if somebody downloaded something that has to do with a spill. It's are they taking that data that was downloaded and trying to move it somewhere else? So you can either, you know, you could tie it to inside threat, you can tie it to, uh, you know, just misuse, or you could just tie it to a policy violation. But to see that piece added to that investigation was 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 life for me because you don't really know what people are doing if they download some type of file that that that's a spillage or that had a classification that wasn't supposed to be there and when you see that and you look for it going somewhere else you're stopping that in the tracks and they're stopped in the tracks because you can trigger it you know the alert will trigger hey we see this document on your you know, to them, you thinking they closing out the system, they closing out the file. Oh, I didn't do anything. I don't have any files open. But when you go to that location, it's there. And so uh, that that's one of the cases that 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 got me. Um, I felt like I did my duty <laughs> on that on that one because you're catching something else that can be that can be more than just whatever the initial incident was. Nice, nice. So, and that now, were you investigating in real time, or that was it was a part of an investigation? It was in real time. So, okay. we, so usually somebody will self-report. Hey, I accidentally sent this document to X, Y, and Z. Okay, now we're going to take that, and we're going to uh, investigate. You know, just the, the just the normal. We're going to investigate the normal, but then we're going to look for the abnormal. So. All right, was this open? Was this document open? <laughs> Did anything take you know? So they got they got clipboard data that you can look for. Um, we just so happened to see that there was some other things going on with a particular user that made us point us in that direction to look in that to look in that direction, and we was able to find it, and it worked out. So it was almost like a plot twist. So you you went in you went in with one theory, yes. Uh, you went in with one theory, was sure that that was the prevailing theory. Yes. And then you got hit with a swerve, like a curveball, and was like, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah. There's this over here. There's What's this, this over here? And What's now this? It, and, and now it, it put the picture together. It put the yeah, picture together. That's yep. that that that's interesting. Like, I always, I always wanted to kind of be on those type of investigations. Because like you said, it's like getting into – getting into the mindset or the, or, or, or the thought process of whoever is, you know, performing that act that you're investigating. Right. You participated in an event uh, recently where uh, it was red versus blue and you were speaking to your counterpart on the, the, the red team side and they were explaining why, you know, red teaming and pen testing is awesome but you came with, you came with receipts, right? You, <laughs> you were doing, you were doing like analysis right there on the spot in your like three or four minutes that they gave you. When you did that, I was like, oh man, that's, <laughs> that, 
that that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, which again plays into the whole thing in my head about about being the the, the strategic mind and uh, of the team with attacks happening more frequent and being more advanced. Um, what are you doing or what are blue teams doing now to, to stay ahead of the curve, right? Like, like we talked about in chess, you have to be several steps ahead of your opponent. So you have to almost anticipate what, what the opponent's doing. So what are you doing to anticipate what the next big threat is going to be and, and preparing for that? It's a tough task. Why? Because what's a zero day? A zero day is something that there's no real patch for. There's no yeah. patch for is something out there. A threat actor can take today's zero day, change one binary, one bit, add a piece, add a process, add some other type of detection, um, not detection, but obfuscation, and post it out there, and that's a whole new zero day. Knowing that that can happen, you got exploit DB out there that's just updating all types of exploits. There's a new exploit every day. There are people sitting at home coming up with different types of, uh, you know, trying to look for bug bounties and stuff like that, coming for coming out for different types of ways to get into people's networks. So that's going to be hard to try to watch. Now, what keeps me ahead of the game or keeps me at least ready, if I know that there's going to be some obfuscation going on, if I know that there's going to be, you know, if you're going to pop a box, you're not going to be sitting on that user's desktop. You're not even going to be sitting in that user's download folder. You're going to touch the registry. You're going to go into that person's outdated local profile and sit somewhere, maybe in a temp folder. You're going to be doing something like that. Um, if I know that that's the case, for me as an analyst, for me as a stock analyst, a forensic person, a malware person, I'm going to be studying where would I go if I'm a red teamer. Look for these different entryways. Understand... How can I get there quicker? So if let's say if an alert does fire off in the environment, I already know where to check because I'm practicing that. That's where the home lab comes in at. So I'm practicing. I'm going in, I'm looking at different types of indicators in those PCAPs that can help me understand when this traffic appears in, in our network, where do I go? So So if I'm seeing any queries, uh, of discovery coming from my IPC share, looking for domain admin, looking for LSAS. I know what to monitor as a as a defender. I'm going to be looking for any types of queries uh, going to those different types of resources. Anybody trying to touch those resources. And you know the IPC share, um, RPC traffic, Microsoft has allowed people to anonymously query that. But you got to be connected to the network. In some, In most cases, you probably got to be already in the network to do that. Or you can do it from outside, depending on how the policies and stuff are set up. But for me, I'm looking for how do I find detection around these different types of file locations that the attacker may be looking for. Creds. They want the creds. They want the keys to the kingdom. So I'm going to monitor that. I'm going to practice that. I have a home lab that has Active Directory in it, that has domain admin accounts in it. I'm generating different types of traffic. So that's what keeps me sharp. Um, also, understanding those different binaries that are used. So detection around that, understanding what those binaries are doing, understanding what each one will do uh, that will look legit. Those are the things that are go that will go undetected. So if I understand those, 
or you know focus my my attention around the computer system itself and how it works and i can prepare myself to look for different types of attacks before even if they come out with a new zero day i already have a starting point of where i'm gonna look first if they was to hit that environment and if they don't hit those environments then i know where else to look once i find it and i add that to my i add that to my notes i add that to my my go-to and it'll be a short night or a long night depending on where that that attacker or malware decides it's going to run so yeah i think you know no matter what the attack or the exploit is the the end game is always the same right so you know you know what what we're looking for you know where we want to end up on the flip side yeah you you know some of the more frequent attack vectors so mm-hmm. if you have those pieces to put together already then you just have to kind of figure out the, the mess in the middle um and and in figuring that you were talking about doing things like practicing and downloading pack packet capture files or looking at binaries and stuff like that are there resources that that blue teamers can go to to practice like that for labs uh because i know with like red team or pen testers we have we have a whole plethora of things we have over the wire, we have Vone Hub, we have Hack the Box, we have Try Hack Me. Uh, there's a lot of different places we can go to lab in a safe environment that's not going to, you know, break anything or take anything down. Uh, I, I expect, I, I, I imagine that it's a little bit more difficult dealing with things like malware and stuff like that, um, but. Is there somewhere you can go to get that information safely and bring that over to your home lab to practice? Yes. GitHub has a whole bunch of free stuff. And, you know, you know, you can use VMware uh, Player. VMware works that you have to pay for, but you can use VMware, VMware Player, VirtualBox to set up your virtual environment. You can use an old laptop you know, an old PC that you really don't care about to be that environment for you. You just need to be able to set up uh, some type of firewall and segment your network at home to make sure it doesn't touch the other side. Um, As far as the different resources, um, when you think about training platforms, there's one training platform I don't hear much people talking about. They should talk about. It's called Immersive Labs. It's a more realistic approach when you're dealing with different types of um attacks and stuff like that or different types of tasks as far as looking at different malware uh writing spunk queries and uh you know detection and stuff like that immersive labs i recommend everybody everybody to try to at least obtain an account or see if they they have a community version of it most organizations and and jobs will pay for it um but i recommend that as far as outside of that, again, GitHub has a lot of things. They have attack PCAPs up there. Um, they have different types of um, projects that people are doing some amazing work, um, like looking at the live off the land binaries. Somebody created, and I wish I had their name offhand to give them a shout out. They created a project on GitHub, um, LOLBAS, for live off the land binaries. And they have one for Unix, Linux, and they have one for Windows. Um, if you go to GitHub, they have that. You can go there, pull it down, see, and look at the different binaries that are used that are signed by the operating system that can be used for evil. 
there's there's other other people out there. Um, my guy Josh, I, f- I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but but Josh teaches malware for uh, different malware courses. He has malware itself that's captured that you can use in your environment that I use or starting to use in my environment when I when I teach my SOC class uh, that you can analyze and stuff like that. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of resources, but I would say check GitHub first and do a query on which, what you need it for. So if you're looking for detection rules, type that in. If you're looking for, um, anything dealing with malware, type that in and GitHub will be, uh, my first choice. All right. So you just alluded to using certain tools and resources, uh, when you're teaching. And I think that's, something else that is major in coming up with a strategy because you can't be everywhere in one place. Talk about the challenges of, you know, taking, you know, the things that you wish you knew starting and things that you are preparing for in the future and creating a curriculum around that to teach, you know, the next generation of SOC analysts. Well, the challenge is, is, is this, everything's always new. There's always some, there's always some new detection, new malware, new attack, new way of doing things. Cloud is, is now a factor, um, which learning that is a whole different ball game compared to just working on an actual device. Do I hit all of the pieces? I hit like, you know, what do you would look for? Like, what are the, the breadcrumbs? What's the what's the main what's the main base of the recipe? Yeah, I touch those, but as far as staying up the you know up to speed, and it's like every day I find something new. I should throw this in the class, or I would run through a something on one of the contracts, and I say, man, I should throw this in the class because they're going to run into this once they get on the job. And so, me documenting, not the proprietary stuff, but just the process of. If you had to deal with this incident, how would you do that? Um, you know, in today's landscape, if you had to deal with that incident, how would you do that? So that's the challenge is keeping up with documenting the new stuff that you run into that are going to be a problem for somebody coming into the field. That's the biggest piece of it. And just making sure that you have the environment tailored to recreate that. So, you know, me having a home lab, me having people uh, being able to scale and have people come and learn on my lab, being able to tailor that lab to reenact what I saw in the real life world is another challenge. Resources and making sure you have, you know, uh, the right setup is, is key. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, again, finding, you know, let's say EDR. You know, and I have a favorite EDR and I don't know if I can say the name of it, but I have a favorite EDR that's not community version. They don't have a community version. So I got to go with a community version to to show that there's EDR experience in my lab. But also, no matter what you use, it serves the same purpose. The EDR serves the same purpose, no matter which one you use. It's just showing that I have it. So those are the challenges, making sure you can recreate the environment so that people can use it um, the way it should be done that are being done right now in the industry. So, 
So it sounds like you're telling them that the class doesn't stop after they leave the classroom. Absolutely not. So the biggest scare I have is once I teach you what I teach you, hands on, is that you sit on that. You know, you're not going to get a job right away in most cases after you apply, you know, apply after learning this knowledge. You still got to stay sharp. You know what I'm saying? You never know when that interview is going to come. You never know when you're going to get that phone call. So having a home lab at home to stay sharp, to keep ready is key. It's key, you know, just to stay ready just in case. And there's a, there's a saying I like to say, be ready so you don't got to get ready. You know what I'm saying? If you got to get ready, then you go, that ship going to pass you up. So if you already ready, you're ready to go. Once it's time, you know, once, once it's time to get the ball rolling, you're ready to go. So that piece right there, it doesn't stop with my class. It's just a pivot point that you can go into deeper. You know what I'm saying? I just teach you what, what the base is and you just pivot and grow into other areas. So the saying that I've heard lately is uh, to truly be good at something, you should teach it. It, it. Does that ring true? It does. It keeps me, because if you don't use it, you lose it. And so if, if for me, if I taught it, something I learned, something that I've, you don't really master it, master it, but stuff that you learned and have done, once I teach it to you, that tells me that I understand what I just taught or what I just learned. If I teach it to you the way it was taught to me or shown to me. Um, so yeah, teaching is teaching definitely embeds what you have learned as well as going over it again. You know, practice not only makes perfect, but practice makes permanent. So if you, if you keep practicing it, practicing and practicing it, you're going to see one side of it. But once you teach it to somebody else, now you see that what was committed to memory come out. And now it's like, oh, I got it. You know what I'm saying? It's like riding a bike. Teaching holds us accountable. Teaching, yeah. you know, because you never want to be the person who gives out the wrong information. You don't right. want to be the person who led them, led them astray or led them True. in the wrong direction. Right. So I feel like teaching holds you accountable because you want to make sure that, that all your ducks are in a row. You want to mm -hmm. make sure that you know, things haven't changed since you did it five, maybe right. if it's like five, 10 years ago, and that, you know, that the information is still accurate or still, or, or the sources that you use are still reliable sources. So I definitely think there's a level of accountability that comes with teaching or mentoring, um, or even blogging or doing, you know, how-to videos or YouTube videos. There, there's a sense of accountability that comes with it that you should take seriously um, if if that's your your goal. What do you think has to change in cybersecurity, the cybersecurity landscape, to help uh, better defend it as a whole. There's some the pride has to go. All right, so if it's one team, one fight, and but you have an outdated way of thinking, and you're in the leadership position, most leaders don't want to be challenged that way. Most leaders don't want to be told, hey, I think this is wrong. So when you have that governing environments, you're never going to change. What needs to change is there needs to be, like you mentioned, accountability. Yes, yeah, there's accountability for the analysts. There's accountability for the team leads. There's accountability for the contracting officers. There's accountability for some of the GS workers. But the people that makes the decisions 
Who are they accountable to? Who's checking them? There's nobody really checking them because the people above them probably don't even know. You got that problem, but then you got another problem. We talk about defending, and I'm going to say this because I'm in the field. We talk about bringing in talent, hungry talent, people who are capable or people who can be capable. But you have the language in some of these contracts or RFPs that stops that process. There are what, 500,000 unmet jobs right now? Why? What's in the language of the contract? And a lot of people get mad at the employers for posting these type of jobs, but they're only mirroring what's written in those RFPs. Who is writing the language of that? Who are who who is responsible for writing the language in these types of job positions? A, a, a junior should not be looking or needed to have a CISSP if you're looking for X, Y, Z, or if if you're looking for a junior, yeah, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. So that takes, that needs to change. Once that person, whoever, whoever is writing this language, maybe they need, maybe they need to be educated on today's landscape. You don't really need to have a CISSP in five years experience or two years experience with CISSP or one zero one years experience with CISSP. You you maybe need to get that somewhere down the road. Maybe if somebody educated them on what's actually practical, what works, maybe assessment assessment needs to be done. Maybe take that person to the SOC and say, what are your needs? Then let's write these job posts. Then let's send this out for companies to go after it. Then the companies post, maybe that will help the defense landscape because right now it's hard to get in and it's getting harder and harder and harder and harder because the language that is being posted out there there's so much noise that makes it on these job posts and that makes it hard for people who are hungry, who, who are willing to be like me, I'm going to come in, but I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to, and I'm going to try to make sure I'm the best at it. That makes it hard for that person to get in because that language, that needs to change. Well, and I think, but I think the other thing, and you just touched on it, you're going to come in and you are going to learn it. I also think that companies should be a little bit more patient and work on developing their people. Right. Uh, you can't expect everybody to know everything out the gate. You know, one one thing that I hate when I hear recruiters talk to whether it was me in the past or, you know, mentees or anything is you need to be able to come in and hit the ground running. Right. There needs to be a a a, a, a grace period for a learning curve. Um there needs to be more chances taken on junior level talent. There needs to be some type of, you know, development in in-house development for these new people. And I know you're going to hear people, well, that's not profitable. That's not money. That's not in the budget. Or, you know, that's taking away man hours from qualified people to do real work. I get that. But I also think that would help with a lot of the turnover that a lot of these companies are seeing. Cause on top of the fact that you said there is something like 500 some odd jobs that need to be filled. There are also people are leaving jobs a lot faster. You talk about the great resignation. Well, the, you know, it's not necessarily the great resignation in cyber. I think it's more of like the great shuffle, the great reshuffling because yeah. you have people who will 
stick around for maybe six to eight months and then leave and then go to the next job or go to the highest bidder or go out and start a business on their own. But I feel like if you if you have that homegrown talent, there's a there's almost a there's a sense of loyalty and a, and like a morale booster there. Yeah. Um. When you're when you help when you work with these people, I mean, you're gonna obviously you still need to take care of them and do what you got to do and you know pay them what they're worth and pay them equally and treat them like human beings and honor things like you know, uh, work life balance, but if you show that you're, you're invested in your people, that if you invest in your people, I think that will also help with job retention. Yeah. That's just me. I'm just, I'm a hop off my, no. I'm a hop no. off my soapbox. No. But, uh, you know, I wanted to say that as a solution, right. Is, and you took the words right out of my mouth in-house training program. Cause guess who got that help desk. We will give you three weeks paid training before we put you on board. You sit in this room, you learn this skill, you learn how to touch Active Directory, you learn all the different groups, you learn how to process our, you know, our different tickets and stuff like that. And then you take a test. And if you pass that test, we put you on the floor. So if that was, I haven't seen that on cyber. That's why Max Power Technologies offer that. We will come into your environment and assess your tools and assess your SOPs and then create a training program based upon that and then anybody that you think or deem that could be a potential candidate you send them in to our training program we'll run them through the training we'll show them how to use your sops your tools and stuff like that and if they pass they pass the sniff test you put them on the you put them on the on the shift on the floor that takes the stress off that that takes that that weight off them and you put it you outsource it to another to another team that's exactly what i was about to say and that's why we offer that. We offer that type. And I think you just—I think you just answered my next question, which was going to be <laughs> some, something that you could implement in your company that would make a huge difference. But yeah, so yes. so so we're even <laughs> <laughs> dealing with the new students and and dealing with people who are new to to sock life and everything like that. Um, what is what are some recommendations or tips that you would give to them? You know, just starting out. There was something that was told to me when I first started help desk. And it said, don't chase the money, chase the experience. The money's going to be there. Right? There's a lot of people jumping in and making rash, you know, just ad hoc decisions of jumping into the field, spending buku dollars for training. And because their motivation, their number one motivation is the dollar. Then when they get in and see how much work it's going to take for them to keep up with the curriculum, keep up with the training, do the type of work. They no longer want to do that type of job. So you just wasted money. So my first recommendation is don't chase the money, chase the experience. My second recommendation is don't be somebody that's all over the place. Do a self-assessment of, you know, just a pre-research of what's out there, the type of jobs that you want to get into. Do a self-assessment. You may not be a person that that want to sit in front of a desk all day and look at monitoring. You may be might be want somebody want to be somebody that might want to walk around to site to site to be on your feet. So do a self assessment of which job would best fit my personality, my lifestyle, my preferences. Um, you may be you. I've known people that don't want to work remote. I know people that want to be on site. So 
find a job that will make sure you on site every day. You know what I'm saying? So do a self-assessment first before you jump head in and say, oh, the money's great. Uh, I, I can, I can, I can buy me a supercar. Okay. All right. When you get in here, you find out how much work it's going to take to keep up and stay, stay relevant in the game. And you ain't got no work ethic. That's going to throw you off. And now you out doing a whole nother profession. So start with, start with that. Don't chase the money, chase the experience, but then put in the work again. It's going to take work. It's going to take work. doesn't matter your age. It's going to take work. Don't look for the easy way in. You know, there's easy ways to get in. No, but it's going to take work to stay in. There's people who got in easy that ain't in no more. So it's going to take work. So be a hard worker where you are now so you ain't got to work too hard when you get to where you're trying to go. You know what I'm saying? There it is. And then lastly, be that geek. You got to be, we talked about home labs. You got to be a geek. You know, set that lab up at home. Get that get that experience. Get that training under your belt. You know, get that repetitions. Get those reps in. Just like how the athletes do. Just like how the superstars do. Get those reps in. Get that training in. And be ready so you ain't got to get ready. Being a blue teamer, I'm sure you've heard some of the, the flack that comes with being a blue team. Some of the misconceptions and complaints that people have with blue teaming. What is one misconception? that you wish to to clarify or correct right now? Uh, that is boring. Most people want to go red team because that's a sexy word. Blue team's actually fun. Yeah. All right. That's one of the, one of the misconceptions that, you know, I don't want to do blue team. I don't want to do sock work. I want to do red team. I want to hack things. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to pwn a box. I want to pop a shell. Okay. That's cute and all, but look at where the deficit is. Look at where all the open jobs are. It's on the blue team side. You eventually get there. And, and a lot of people think it's just boring because it's not a sexy word, but it's actually fun on this side of the field. Like once you get on this side of the field, it's going to, it'll change your mind once you get your hands on some of these things. So that's, that's one of the, the biggest misconceptions um, is that, and also um, getting into the field itself. Again, certs. Certs versus degrees is the biggest argument. I can't speak for everybody else. I can only speak for me. I got in without either. The times have changed to where it's a more stricter now. So you got to have at least one or the other. And there are doors that are open right now for me where I'm at and there's doors that are closed right now for me where I'm at. But the biggest misconception is the certs. What certs do I get? What degrees do I get? Look at what the industry is it uh wants you to have. That's the search that you want to get. Do an assessment. If you got a particular cert in mind, do a search in the job post, a job, a job board, and see how many jobs look for that cert. Don't go chasing all these different certs and uh, that don't really play a part in your employment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could do that at some point, but just be strategic, be, be, uh, be intentional and be targeted about that type of approach. I agree 100%. Uh, I didn't go to college, so I, I got, I have certs and, um, I actually got a bunch of certs, but that's because I transitioned halfway through my career, but you're absolutely right. I usually tell people, 
get the foundational stuff first. So get your network plus, get your security plus, get that foundation there. And then and then and then do some more research yeah. into what exactly you want to do. So if you want to go blue team or you want to go to SOC side or you want to go to threat analyst, look at the certifications that are catered to that. If you want to yeah. go red team, look at the certifi- certifications that are catered to that. Too many people jump in from jump from cert to cert and become these paper tigers. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, and don't get to actually utilize those certifications. So again, uh I thank you for joining. Um, please tell everybody how to find you. Yes, I'm on Twitter, the Cyber Reverend, Commandante uh, Bowie, that's my handle on Twitter. And you can find me on LinkedIn as Marcus Bowie on LinkedIn. And if you're looking to take a class, and it's a private class, but you know since it's Hacker Valley Studios and it's David <laughs> Jackson and David Jackson is hosting it. Um, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it public. If you decide that you want to take the SOC class or looking for SOC training, just go to maxprotech.org and you'll find, uh, you'll find that information on there about the class, what you'll learn, um, you know, and everything you need for the class. So. Uh, well, I, I greatly appreciate that, sir. Yeah. Uh, so again, thank you for joining and thank you all for watching. Uh, this has been another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I'm building up my team. I have my strategist right here, Marcus Bowie. Um, and again, thank you to our sponsor, Upticks. And now I guess we're going to also thanks, thank MaxProd Technologies uh, for the training. So if you want in more information, go to maxprodtech.org and tell them that Davin sent you. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get it moving. Um, Again, this has been another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. Until next time, stay safe, stay dangerous. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. 